You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We primarily focus on Kentucky. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show! Hello and welcome back to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. Hey, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hey, how we doing? Good. Super. Happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. Okay, today's topic is surface hydrology, lakes and rivers in Kentucky. And um, we don't have a guest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we are, we're, gonna... we're you know, a little bit of a time crunch with everyone everyone's schedule. We're trying to kind of catch up with our recordings, but... Um, uh, so we we didn't we didn't book a guest, but I think we can wing this and not embarrass ourselves completely. We hope. And if we do, um, just write me. I don't <laughs> care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be ready for a lot of emails. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, we'll, we're going to do it. But uh, we we really wanted to talk about lakes and rivers in Kentucky, surface water processes. Um, you know, talk specifically about Kentucky's surface water conditions in a, in a geologic and geomorphic context. I mean, who, who doesn't love their lakes and rivers in Kentucky? We, we all do. So we're going to, we're going to get into all that and, um, uh, sounds, it's going to be good. We're, we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be fine. We'll see where it goes. Okay. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is hydrology? Uh, the science that deals with water, its properties, circulation, and distribution on and under the Earth's surface and in the atmosphere. And I think when when you hear surface hydrology or hydrology, I think mainly people think of environmental issues, environmental geology, um, and, and maybe even economic impacts of hydrologic conditions and hydrologic processes. Um, like you said, Doug, that's different from hydrogeology which is the study of water beneath the Earth's surface in those processes. Right, and the interaction of rocks. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, with surface water hydrology, obviously a big concern is also um, water availability, which is an environmental sure. thing. But yeah. Sure. So. And I think we may have touched on this with your episode, Sarah, and Mammoth, um, sort of the super interesting... I don't know, relationship between surface water and groundwater and how that's quite often very complicated. Right. Yeah, I was definitely going to mention that, that even though it is surface water, a lot of the streams actually originate from springs um, and a lot of the water that's flowing at the surface uh, is coming from groundwater. So you have this like high interconnection um, and reliance on even groundwater to feed your surface water. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. So we want to talk about rivers and lakes in Kentucky and kind of go through go through those just generally. Um, we're going to leave out some, right? We, Kentucky has a lot of rivers and a lot of lakes, um, but kind of do lakes, do rivers, and some cool factoids, and uh, we'll see where that where that takes us. So, what is a lake? Uh, an inland body of standing water. It includes reservoirs. Um, who knows what the study of lakes is called? Uh, I think it's called limnology. <laughs> Doug is correct. Uh, limnology is the study of freshwater lakes and ponds dealing with chemical, biological, and climatological conditions. So it's just freshwater, but there are saltwater lakes. Um, yes. Not in Kentucky, but... 
So that inland thing is important. And then I guess whether you're a sea or a lake, I don't know. I guess the uh, sea is connected to the ocean. Or, that could be debated, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. But you know, <laughs> it, Great Salt Lake is obviously a big salt lake in the middle it's, of it's, the continent. It's inland, yeah. <laughs> inland. Um, so lakes exist in all kinds of geologic conditions. Um, and we, we kind of touched on this in our pre-recording banter, but, but um, many... Uh, lakes have short lifespans geologically, right? They can, they can be lakes, they can dry up, they can become swamps, then they can dry up. Um, so what's important is these are inland bodies of water and they have to have a sustainable water budget, right? So they have to have right, more water coming in than, than is leaving. And, and that's, you know, that's attached to the, the hydrologic cycle, which I don't know if we need to get into, but, uh, you know, water in the atmosphere, precipitation, surface water, groundwater, and how all that's connected, that that um, affects your water budget for, for lakes. So uh, I was going to talk about natural lakes, then we can talk about um, maybe artificial lakes after that. Um, and there's really not that many types or origins of natural natural lakes. Again, maybe a limnologist will you know, slap sure, that, slap sure, that down, but I'm sure they have many categories because <laughs> you know job security. <laughs> <laughs> for our, yeah, I don't think for our purposes, yeah. I listed a few here: glacial lakes, oxbow lakes, coastal lakes. I have karst lakes. Sarah, you may, may comment on that. Landslide dammed lakes, and then subsidence formed mm. lakes. Oh yeah. So the mm. just last first year, the subsidence form lake that came to mind with the real foot lake in Kentucky having been formed um, after Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Having formed after the 1811, 1812 New Madrid earthquakes and subsidence of the land there that created a big lake. Yeah. But what I think most people know about are glacial lakes, continental glaciation. Go back and listen to that episode, by the way, uh, forming large freshwater lakes all over the world. Um, oxbow lakes, fun, it's funny, oxbow lakes, right? It's what everyone likes to look at out of an airplane, right? You're flying over the surface of the earth. You see, it's, you know, this circuitous river and these horseshoe shaped lakes adjacent to those. And those are oxbow lakes, right? So it's a meander in a river that's cut off, uh, from years of erosion and it makes a horseshoe shaped lake. And I think, I don't know, for me, like that always drew me into geology stuff, like stuff like that. That's oh, yeah. kind of, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know. They're all over and they're common, but they're, it's a cool process. Mm-hmm. Anything else on natural lakes? I mean, Kentucky has no, oh, no, wait, we have, we have three, three natural ones. lakes. Yeah. They're, I think they're all on the Ohio river, uh, floodplain. So they're sort of like oxbow lakes. I don't, I don't think they're really called oxbow lakes. They're just lakes that form from, um, some depression on the Ohio river, um, floodplain, which is big. I mean, it's a big area. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge area. But, um, but yeah, there. In case you're interested, there's Swan Swan Lake and Shelby Lake in Ballard County, in Western Kentucky, and then Metropolis Lake and I think McCracken County, um, also Western Kentucky. So, yeah, not a lot of natural lakes in Kentucky. Right. Part of it is we have a very mature landscape, so we don't. If you remember the glacier episode, glaciers didn't make it all the way down here. So, so we don't have that activity. And then we can talk about the karst thing is 
there's the one thing that would would form lakes maybe in Kentucky, but this probably gets back <laughs> yeah, to that. I guess, yeah. Um, on yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds somewhat like incompatible to me. Um, karst lakes because inevitably in a karst terrain, your water is going to try to go underground into that soluble bedrock below. What we think of as a karst landscape, there is no surface water. Right. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. but like thinking about it, um, there are like a few examples and I could, I could see like where this term like maybe, um, applied, I guess. So like here in Kentucky, um, we don't have sort of your big famous cenotes that you see in like Florida Mexico. or Mexico. Um, it is a, a sinkhole or collapse feature that then is close enough to the the water table that you've got the the groundwater exposed at the surface, basically. Um, and so you do have these like beautiful swimming holes uh, in Florida and, and Mexico. Here, the best idea I can think of. I think we've got some like karst windows where you have underground rivers exposed. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily, I think it's mostly flowing. That water is is exposed in this window to the surface in a collapse feature or something like that. Um, but it is it is more of a, an underground stream that's exposed would be kind of what I would think of. Um, another example is Cheney Lake in Bowling Green near Cheney's Dairy Barn. And so that is sort of the source waters for um, the Lost River Cave system, the headwaters there. And when that system backs up and the groundwater, uh, you get precipitation that fills the underground drainage net network, then you get Cheney Lake that appears in the middle of this field. So it's more of an ephemeral lake. Um, and then as soon as that system drains, that disappears again. And so... Um, we do get like these backings up of sinkholes and things in Kentucky, um, but they, they don't last. And then like Sloan's pond in Mammoth cave, I believe is a natural pond um, that is there because there is sandstone cap rock there on that top of the ridge. Um, so it's like perched on the sandstone and isn't draining below into the, the limestone layers below. And so those are sort of some examples I can think of that are does like Does it always hold its water? Maybe? It does. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Oh, so, it's, so it's completely I like... I add that to the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pond, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess it's like... I don't it's know like what the difference go, there you can, is, you but... Include it. I mean, you go up to the Northeast and they're calling everything a pond, yeah. so... You know, <laughs> so if there's a, a karst lake... It's going to be short-lived. It might, it may be a sinkhole that's plugged up, filled up with water. It's going to be short-lived. It might, it's round, may look like a lake, but it's not going to really last. Right. I wouldn't think so yeah. here, at least in Kentucky. One interesting thing that I was going to throw out there, we talked about water availability kind of in just the introduction. Even though we have so much groundwater in the state, uh, so much cave and karst land, uh, I think like a super high percentage of drinking water in the state comes from surface rivers and streams and lakes. Um, yeah. I want to throw out 95%, but that may no, be like I, I think way it's off. really high. Okay. It's, yeah. And, and it's funny. I mean, the big aquifers are in places like, you know, up in Indiana and further north. We have these, I, I think they're glacially related, but we just don't have the storage to, right. to drill a well confidently. Mm -hmm. get water i think um and i know 
in the east, they have probably a little bit more groundwater and the crystalline, you know, the granites and things like that from fractures, but east of Kentucky. You, yeah, yeah, like in North Carolina. Right. Sorry. Yeah, way east. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's uh, I I think that number is about, about right. About I mean, right. maybe in western Kentucky there's aquifers but um well far western kentucky it's all the alluvium right right and yeah, then, yeah like yeah. the jackson purchase area that's yeah yeah that's why i mean far west yeah 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 um i was just going to throw out before we move on sure. to rivers uh this whole natural versus man-made, man-made. lakes oh i guess we're going to talk about the water. no this, this is fine but yeah uh, just uh some ways to identify a natural lake versus a man-made lake is, you know, if you're looking at a, a map um, or a satellite, uh, the, the man-made ones or even flying over, the man-made ones really look very dendritic. So, you know, like a, have tree branches because they've been dammed up and they usually have a very distinct end to them. So they have this kind of triangular shape and then a very flat end and that's where the dam is. And the dendritic part is where all these different streams are coming in and then the valley has been flooded basically by damming up a river or stream. Um, whereas natural lakes tend to be more rounded. Yeah. So or, or like a you know, an oxbow lake would be, I guess, a kind of horseshoe horseshoe, horseshoe shape or whatever. But the the way I saw it described is Artificial lakes have large watershed to lake ratios. So mm, just yeah. that shape of a lot of tributaries coming into a main dammed up trunk. Yeah. You know. So you have artificial lakes experience higher nutrient sediment loads, limited littoral zone, which is sort of that uh, natural edge of lakes that has a really diverse ecosystem that natural lakes have. Artificial lakes don't have that, so you get a lot more of potentially a lot more uh, contaminants coming in natural or artificial lakes, less biological diversity in artificial lakes, uh, more environmental problems. And that just means more management for artificial lakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get sediment built up behind dams. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that leads to things like eutrophication. And, and so, yeah, it can definitely throw things off balance. Yeah. We're bouncing around a bit, but that's Okay. We're gonna get back. We're gonna go back to some of these major lakes in Kentucky, but let's let's. I think that's we're. Yeah, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> Cut that too. Let's get back. Let's. I just wanted to get back to kind of defining some of these features. So a river is different, right? Uh, a river is a naturally flowing water course, also usually freshwater, flowing on the Earth's surface, towards an ocean, towards a sea, towards a lake, or towards another river. Uh, there are many sizes, shapes, depths, and current currents, um, like the water flow current of, of rivers, but they all flow downhill, down gradient. So they all are gravity driven, going from higher elevations to lower elevations under the force of gravity. Uh, rivers have headwaters and they have mouths. So headwaters are where, are where rivers start. The mouths are where that water empties into another body of water. You know, rivers are more obvious and significant to us since they're such an important part of our lives, uh, parts of civilizations and culture and agriculture. That's just to tee up, tee up rivers. So, uh, and, and these rivers get dammed, and that's how you make 
make the lakes. Mm-hmm. So a dam, a dam is just a barrier that stops or diverts the water water flow along a river. And we we can maybe get into this, uh, but you know, dam or we don't have to get into the nitty gritty necessarily of of dams, but they're for flood prevention, recreation, ag development, water supplies, um, hydroelectric power. I did find that seven percent of all power in the U.S. is hydroelectric power. Mm. So these dams block rivers and make all kinds of uh, all kinds of lakes. I don't know the purpose of all the dams. I think it's probably more a mixture of flood prevention and hydroelectric power, but I would say there's not the kind of negative connotation about dams in Kentucky as there may be out west. Yeah. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. I mean, um, we don't have the we don't have salmon runs and, and things like that. We don't have big evaporation problems and generally people really like to go to our lakes in Kentucky <laughs> um, for recreation purposes. Um, I don't think, I, I don't know the total history of making lakes in Kentucky, but I feel like it was a little bit different than say in, even in Tennessee with the TVA flooding very large river valleys that people were living in, you know, Lake Cumberland is a huge lake, but I'm not sure it displaced a ton of people. Did it? I know that there was at least uh, one town or settlement oh. there that they oh, yeah. did have to like relocate. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, another interesting thing with like Lake Cumberland uh, is building dams in karst areas. Oh so, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's you, actually yeah. We should talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, leaky. Little leaky. Yeah. Karst holes. Yeah. yeah it's not so work. that was. You're talking about under Wolf Creek Dam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, they they lowered the water level for several years while they repaired that dam. Yeah. Uh, basically, put new footings in with that that pressure. Um, you're you're shoving water around the dam basically, and um, enlarging these existing conduits that go through the the limestone. So it basically like subverts the dam and and yeah. Listeners yeah. should go look up Wolf Creek Dam and its history and some mm-hmm. of the geologic conditions and issues that mm-hmm. it experienced. It was yeah, I mean, quite, I a, quite a deal. Nashville, when they were doing that, and there was a lot of concern about Wolf Creek Dam bursting, bursting mm-hmm. basically, because yeah. mm-hmm. Nashville would feel the effects for sure. I shouldn't, I should roll back my negative comment because <laughs> I was thinking about Red River Gorge that, almost became a lake. Right. We talked about that. Yeah. There was a big fight against making it a lake. And so I think if there's not a negative connotation so much now about lakes, there definitely would have been had that occurred. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, but the gorge was spared. The gorge yeah. was, yeah, spared. I would be interested, like you said, I'm not familiar either with the reasons behind building the dams. I think you're, I think you're right. Like, I think it's kind of flood control. Yeah, and fl- um, probably water available, probably water resource, maybe. Yeah. Water, like, domestic water supply. Supply, yeah. yeah. You know, some yeah. of the, like the lock and dams, like on the Green River for transport. Oh, well, there, um, yeah. And there's a the long Kentucky history yeah. of the, the yeah. rivers being used as transport here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Kentucky River, for sure. I think that was a combination of transport and flood control, but mm-hmm. yeah. And those little dams. There, okay, back to negative, positive kind of. You know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of talk about the, or a lot of, not real talk, but 
speculation about, oh, what would the Kentucky River look like if yeah. didn't have the mm. dams, mm-hmm. the dams there? And but some of those they're bringing back for navigation and and for hydroelectric mm. power as well. But um, some of the ones along the Green River are coming out. Yeah, um, mm. which then drops your water level of the river there, mm. which also lowers it in caves. So you definitely mm. have all these upstream effects as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was just going to list off Kentucky's major major watersheds and sort of how they fit into the general geologic landscape in the state. This is kind of going from east to west. So a watershed is an entire area where the main river and all its tributaries drain. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we have Kentucky has the Big Sandy, the Licking River, the Kentucky River, the Upper Cumberland, the Salt River, Green River, Lower Cumberland, Lower Tennessee, and you can include, you should include the, the Ohio and Mississippi River watersheds because our state borders those very important rivers. So that was a list kind of from east to west. And then... I don't, you know, we've talked about the geology before, uh, especially in the, I guess, the Southern Appalachians episode. This is maybe most relevant, but, you know, Eastern Kentucky is flatline sedimentary rocks, sandstone, siltstone, shales, coals, you know, resi- a lot of, a lot of thicker resistant sandstones, but, but, uh, sandstone, siltstones, coals, clays. Then you kind of move east into, uh, different ages of siltstones and limestones, uh, different thicknesses of the limestones. Central Kentucky, what we call the central bluegrass or outer bluegrass or limestones and shales of the different, different different ages. This is all to say, and then you get the western Kentucky coal field, which is similar rocks as the eastern coal field in eastern Kentucky. This is all to say that the bedrock geology has a major influence on uh, these rivers and and then the lakes that form formed from from the damming so i think you know we talked about this a little bit doug before we hit record but the depth shape water quality of these lakes and rivers is a function of geology so rock type um, who constructed the dam maybe who controls the water the depth overall depth of the water um, surrounding environment sarah you mentioned runoff earlier um that surrounding environment is, a, I think, a major player with the, the conditions in our our rivers and lakes, right? Is it wooded? Is there ag? Uh, is there pollutants, high pollutant runoff from, from ag areas? All those kinds of things matter with the conditions in our rivers and lakes. You know, your, what, your deeper lakes are, what, Laurel and... Harrington. Um, Harrington. So... And I, I mean, Harrington, well, Harrington drains and is, is really dammed up, um, Kentucky river Palisade. So Harrington is Dick's river, Dick's river, which flows, flows into, into the, the Kentucky, Kentucky river yeah, right. in the Palisade. So I think, I think that's what's happening there. Cause it's not in, you know, Eastern Kentucky with large ridges or whatever. Yep. Um, so I assume it's deep because you're basically damming up part of the Palisades. You, yep. And the soft quote, soft limestones. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, if a great paddling trip is to go up the Dix River from the Kentucky River um, to the dam, it's really spectacular because it's so deep. The The lake is so deep that at the dam they release uh, 
the water and the water is really cold and you can actually, it's stocked with trout, um, by the fish and wildlife. Um, so when you're paddling up that Dix river, you actually sort of, I mean, the water gets really cold and you sort of feel like you're out West or something. It's, <laughs> um, you know, start seeing trout in the water and stuff, but, uh, so yeah, I guess that's a function of being so deep. Yep. I think the thinking about the Palisades is good because we have the Palisades because of such uh, significant fluctuations in base level mm -hmm. during the Pleistocene. Yeah. So again, go back and listen to our glacial episode. But um, when you have advancing and retreating glaciers, our rivers had to adjust to that different base level. And uh, when you have soft, quote, soft sedimentary rocks like we do in Kentucky, those rivers can really carve down deep. And so that's why uh, you have a lot of not a lot of deep lakes, but why you have the deep lakes in the areas that we do. Uh, Harrington, Laurel Lake are very deep, deep lakes for that reason. And then the shallower lakes, I think, are, what, Taylorsville? Maybe pretty shallow. Um, and I don't know. I don't know about the others, so I'll just leave that. But Land Between the Lakes is a pretty fascinating area, too, because that's yeah. too two major rivers coming together pretty close. Um, and then you've got this land between the lakes, which I, I guess was land between the rivers. And then yeah, they dammed up the rivers and it became land between the lakes. But, um, and it's a natural recreation area, which is really nice, but, um, those are enormous lakes. Mm -hmm. Huge. Yeah. Um, and Lake Barkley and Kentucky Lake, Kentucky Lake. Yeah. I think Lake Barkley's shallower, maybe. Um, mm. They've got different characters as far as how they are lake-wise, but... I can't remember. I think we just had a seminar presentation not long ago um, that was talking about how structurally controlled those two rivers are to curve around south and then come all the way back up to the Ohio yeah. um, or Mississippi and how they never, they're so close to each other and yet they are distinctly separate rivers. Right. Yeah, and it, it's yeah. super structurally controlled, I believe is what they, they were looking at um, old topography, old structure that had controlled the landscape evolution of that area since the Wachita's actually. I think that was um, oh, McKay. Oh. That was just the Ross Holbrook speaker. Hmm. Um, two weeks ago. It was really oh, fascinating. Oh. Um, so Land Between the Lakes is Cumberland River and Tennessee River. Yes, yeah. Um, that empty into Barkley and Kentucky Lake. Right, and then those in empty into what, the Ohio River, yeah. both of them. Yep. Um, and then they're pretty close to the Mississippi River. But I just listed a few lakes that I think a lot of our listeners have probably heard of and, of course, probably been to, you know, Buckhorn Lake is, is a popular lake, beautiful lake in eastern Kentucky. It's it's in the north middle fork of the Kentucky River watershed. Ginny Wiley Lake is also really pretty in eastern Kentucky. It's um, in the Big Sandy, lower Leviza Fork watershed. Um, Cave Run Lake, beautiful lake, great camping, 64 east on your way to Moorhead, right, from Lexington. Uh, it's it's uh, dammed up Licking River. Lake Cumberland, uh, which is probably Lake Cumberland, our most famous lake, maybe outside of Land Between the Lakes. Uh, yeah, yeah, in Ohio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's, oh, uh, <laughs> most famous lake in Ohio. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I kid Ohio. I mean, they got Lake Erie, but man, there's a lot of people they, from Ohio. They love our lakes. Lake. 
like come on just look on i-75 on a sunday afternoon yeah like, a lot of license plates um, Ohio Navy. Uh, yeah it's probably that's probably our most famous i mean i guess out in western kentucky the the you know obviously kentucky lake and stuff but yeah laurel lake is in the upper cumberland watershed it's the dammed up laurel river uh doug you mentioned taylorsville lake big popular lake for fishing it's uh salt salt river uh watershed Nolan, Lake Nolan. I have a lot of friends that have places on Nolan. It's a really beautiful lake. Uh, Nolan, Rough River, Green River. Oh, I was wrong. Barren River. They're all in the Green River Basin. Mm. So they drain into the green. Uh, so And then all the way west is Land Between the Lakes, which we mentioned, is Lower Cumberland, Lower Tennessee watersheds. Yeah. Okay, a shout out to Grayson Lake in eastern Kentucky, ah, too, which yeah. is fantastic um, paddling lake. Because you can, on the upper part of it you can visit all these um, neat sandstone cliffs and features anyway it's great for kayaking yeah supping i'm supping 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 <laughs> if you're into that but again i think the the point the point is with all these lakes that are super popular for camping recreation boating supping fishing <laughs> <laughs> it's you know the shape the depth the water quality really a function of of the geology, the dam, the dam control, and surrounding environment. So let's get into, I wrote down some factoids. I think this is kind of a major part of what what we wanted to get into. But uh, Kentucky has more miles of running, flowing water than any other state except Alaska. That's an amazing fact. Yeah, I I assume that's true. (laughs) (laughs) That means navigable Navigable waterways. waterways. What's your that source? Yeah. That, do, that doesn't mean like a little motorboat. I think that means like a, yeah. a barge yeah. can, can get up and down. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. The numerous rivers and water impoundments provide um, 1,100 commercially navigable miles. So over 1,700 kilometers. Uh, the largest man-made lake east of the Mississippi River is Kentucky Lake. Wow. Yeah, one, of, one of the land between the lakes. So that's cool. Uh, Cumberland's the third largest lake. Um, second is Barkley, the other lake in Lambton Lakes. And Barron River Lake is the fourth largest in Kentucky. We mentioned this, I think. Uh, Kentucky Dam is 22 miles upstream from the confluence of the Tennessee with, uh, River with the Ohio. The dam is the longest dam in the TVA system and uh, reservoir, stretching uh, for 184 miles across Kentucky and Tennessee. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's wow. huge. That's very big. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah. Huh. This is not, uh, I wouldn't take this to the bank, but uh, <laughs> a lot of websites I saw claimed the prettiest and cleanest lake in Kentucky is Laurel Lake. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. It's um, nice. It's there's good. another lake down there, smaller, I think also is... Wood Creek. Wood Creek. Wood Creek yeah. Lake, yeah. Right, yeah. It's, it's pretty. Jason, who's been on our podcast twice, talks about that a lot. Yeah, the, it's, Wood Creek's small, but it's really pretty. So there's no, you're not uh, no water skiing or anything uh, like that. It's, yeah, it's, that's probably why it's clean. It's, it's really chill. <laughs> <laughs> it's chill. It's very chill. Now the deepest lake I think I mentioned we mentioned this is Harrington with a maximum depth of about 250 feet. Harrington Lake is 2,300 acres large, so it's not overwhelming in size. Uh, Kentucky Lake, for comparison, is 160,000 acres. But it does earn the title as the deepest. Uh, created in 1925, thanks to the damming of the Dix River, 
uh, to generate hydroelectric power. Then I also stumbled on a, another website that said Laurel Lake was deeper. So I don't, I don't really know, but they're both deep, both deep yeah, lakes, both deep. Yeah. And then uh, Elkhorn Creek, a tributary of the Kentucky River, is the second longest tributary in the state, emptying into Kentucky, uh, eight miles north of Frankfort. Yeah, which yeah. is also a nice paddling trip, oh. isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. fantastic! It's yeah. awesome. It's yeah. probably yeah, it's really pretty. Um, yeah, canoeing, kayaking, very popular. It's awesome. Yeah, along the Elkhorn. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah, that I, I don't know. My wife is from Georgetown, and she always likes to talk about how. They brag about Elkhorn Creek is what ninety nine miles long, and if it was a hundred miles long, it would be a river. No. I don't know if that's <laughs> that's the threshold. That's, if that's how it works <laughs> or whatever, but <laughs> we're still a creek. Dang very it. very proud of the the name Creek. You know that it hasn't become a river. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and you know, Ohio River is an important part of Kentucky, and is probably one of the most important navigable rivers in the, in the country, in the country. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and historically as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, sort of the last thing I had was to oh. talk a little... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, my, my factoid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we own the Ohio River. I'll just yes. point that out. That's <laughs> not Indiana or Ohio? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, or Illinois. Cool. Yeah. Or I think and how do we know that? Uh, that's the Doug law, said I so. Guess, you know, <laughs> the I think the law says that the... The Kentucky River bound or the Kentucky boundary is on the um, far side of the Ohio River, oh, wherever that is. So when they put the Welcome to Kentucky sign, you know, right as you get into Louisville, that's you've already been in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. You left Indiana. Yeah. yeah. I always thought it was like the middle. No, it's the the oh. banks of the the of the Ohio River on the far side. Gotcha. Yeah, we're, Kentucky's way more responsible than we are. Indiana. Yeah. It's probably Ohio, has something to do with Illinois. the age. Of, I mean, Kentucky's <laughs> older than Ohio, so. Gotcha. But I don't know for sure. Interesting. Yeah, just remember that Ohio and Indiana. Yeah, if you're <laughs> it's ours. It's ours. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Kentucky Energy and Environment Cabinet has a water health p- portal. It's a pretty nice map viewer where you can look at all streams rivers and lakes. And so what you do is you kind of zoom into your area of interest and each uh, stream, river, and lake has a, like a color-coded uh, symbol of, uh, of an attainment level, which is what they call it. So it's they, there's a green, yellow, and red. And uh, attainment levels are full, partial, and non-support of different uh, health assessments. Uh, so those those health assessments are aquatic habitat, contact recreation, which I assumed was swimming. <laughs> In contact with the water, yeah, sure. Uh, fishing, fish consumption, and domestic water supply. So basically you zoom in on the website, uh, you know, you'll see all, all these different colors, green, yellow, and red for each stream or river or lake. And you can see sort of the rating of, of all of these uh, health uh things uh for each body of water and it, that's that's pretty neat so it's just like see how rough river or nolan or the green or eastern kentucky lakes status i don't it's not really a rank but it's kind of the status of uh in uh, a current assessment of, of those things overall health of the water uh, i encourage people to go look at that and then i stumbled upon um, the u.s geological surveys network of super gauges um it's a gauge uh 
I guess they're just scattered around the, the rivers and lakes. I'm not sure how many there are, but these gauges uh, measure continuous flow and water level. They, they measure water quality, which includes temperature, specific conductance, pH, dissolved oxygen, turbidity, phosphates, nitrate conversa- uh, concentrations, stuff like that. So um, kind of an overall health effort there. Um, super gauges provide real-time data designed to improve our understanding of watershed processes and to address specific water resources issues such as climate, land use effects, water-related human health issues, floods, and droughts. So I, I suspect the uh, USGS Water Science Center office in Louisville kind of is in charge of, of that, but I'm not. I'd not, imagine. Yeah, I'm not for sure. And then oh, we, we mentioned, Doug, before recording, the, the Kentucky Watershed Viewer map service is really nice. So all these uh, watersheds, watersheds that we mentioned and specific rivers and lakes we've mentioned, you can go on, uh, just Google Kentucky Watershed Viewer. Yeah. And... Uh, you can know your watershed. Know your watershed. Zoom in. It, once you zoom in, there's a ton of data there, but you can kind of start at the big level and, and zoom down to to where you live. Um, it's a pretty nice website. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just a couple organizations that I mean, I'm sure there's others, but two two ones that I'm really familiar with is Kentucky Waterways Alliance. They do a lot of advocacy for you know build clean waterways and um, sustainable management of waterways and, and that sort of thing. So they're a good organization. And then um, uh, one that I'm involved with is, and KGS is involved with, is um, the Kentucky Watershed Watch, which is a volunteer water quality monitoring organization. So if you're interested in monitoring the water quality of your, say, your local stream, you can sign up and become a um, sampler and you can sample your stream and we'll take the data and put it online and you can kind of see the progression over time. But more importantly, you can, you can see if there's issues and, and, um, the organization helps out with, uh, things like advocacy to try and fix issues and things like that. And it helps DOW, the division of water in Kentucky also, um, manage their, they do a lot of water quality monitoring, but, it it sort of supplements their their work as well. So nice, just good want plugs. To plug those mm-hmm. for yeah, because I think we all have an interest in clean water, mm-hmm. right? You know, and for the volunteers, it's a good chance to like get out in your area, um, more boots on the ground, and have a have data for the area that you live in and that you care about. So yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. good way to do that. Yeah. So I encourage everyone to get out and see see rivers and lakes in Kentucky and, and, um, listen to the podcast and think about the geology and, um, be super ca- careful when swimming because swimming in a lake is much different than swimming in a swimming pool. It is. Yeah. Be yes, careful out is. there. Wear a life yeah. jacket when you're on your boat and mm-hmm. be responsible. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Apologies to all the Ohioans, Indianans, uh, salt lifers, lake lifers. Yeah. Everybody we offended on this podcast. And surface uh, hydrologists. People who hate dams. <laughs> I don't know. Or love them. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we offended all of them. Thanks, you all. Cool. Thanks. Bye. 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 This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. 
Special thanks to Ben Corwin and Alicia Gregory at UK's Office of Research Communications for technical support. If you have any ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>